In a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. And welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Zach Heilprin, the Athletics' Jesse Temple along with you. All right, Badgers... Get by Purdue, 45-24, to 606 yards of offense. Jonathan Taylor, 222 yards on the ground, third straight time. He's gone over 200 yards both this season and against Purdue. Uh, that was the good side of things, bad side of things. They turned the ball over four times, and the defense uh, gives up a whole bunch of big plays, especially in the first half, give up 326 yards passing overall. But they win. They're 9-2. and two. They're 6-2 and two in Big Ten play. And now they get to head to Minneapolis along with College Game Day for a Big Ten West championship game against 10 and 1 Minnesota in a battle for the Axe. I am amped, if you yeah, couldn't tell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is a game of epic historic proportions. And honestly, you can't overstate how big a deal this game's going to be. They played for the Big Ten West championship back in 2014 when Jerry Kill was the head coach, and that game was at Camp Randall Stadium. But that game did not have the magnitude that this game will have because Minnesota is still trying to fight for a potential college football playoff berth. The Gophers have had an unbelievable season, and Wisconsin can go right in there and wreck it and take back the axe after what happened last year. Uh, it's going to be a very, very fun experience. It is. I think you can make the argument that it's the uh, the biggest game, the biggest axe game, uh, not knowing when the axe actually came into being. Do we know off the top of your head? I'd have to look on my uh, go-to way, source of Wikipedia. The slab of bacon was a long time ago. It is, but it was 1962. They played when Wisconsin was number three and Minnesota was number five, and Wisconsin won that game 14-9 uh, to nine on their way to a Big Ten title and on their way to, to the Rose Bowl. Um, that, to this point, is the biggest game, I would say, between the two. They haven't... They don't haven't met as uh, ranked teams very often. Last time they met as ranked teams was back in 2014, as you said. Minnesota was 23 that year. Wisconsin was 14. It, it would have decided who would go to the Big Ten championship game, but Wisconsin obviously was the favorite in that one. I'm not sure what the spread's going to be. Uh, as we're, reco- we're recording this late Saturday night, so the spread hasn't. We haven't seen a spread for next week yet, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if Minnesota's favored. I would expect Minnesota to be favored. Quite honestly, the games in Minneapolis. Minnesota has. Outside of that Iowa game, taking care of business, I think the game against Penn State, and I said this before, drastically altered the opinion of Minnesota's football team and perhaps its football program in general because until that point, it's like, well, they've beaten five bad Big Ten teams and now they beat a good Penn State team. And obviously they can take that another step if they beat Wisconsin. That is the ultimate stamp of we're here as a program you know, we can beat our rival and we can win the West because they haven't really been a consistent contender. Yeah, the two teams since they last met last uh, last November in a win for Ohio State or for uh, Minnesota, the two teams have lost combined three times. Wisconsin twice, Minnesota once. Uh, they both played some pretty good football. I would say that, I don't know, who do you think is playing better at this point? For, for the record, Wisconsin has not, I mean, uh, Minnesota has not been the higher ranked team in this matchup since 1961. I feel like Minnesota's playing better for, for the most part. Well, here's the thing. Offensively, probably, right? I mean, at least passing game-wise. Passing game-wise, they've been insane here. The, it, with Rashad Bateman and Johnson and the way that Tanner Morgan's playing, they they carved up 
uh, Northwestern, which isn't that big of a deal, but they've put up 300 yards in their, on the on the two opponents before that, being Penn State and uh, Iowa. Their passing game is at a different level right now at the wrong time for Wisconsin because Wisconsin's passing uh, defense has not been stout, and they lost a couple more players to injury. Fayon Hicks goes out with a head injury. Uh, they lose Reggie Pearson to an arm injury. Colin Wilder to a head injury slash uh, ejection for targeting, so he'll miss the first half of next week's game no matter what. They are uh, they're hurting at corner and trying to find guys uh, to put in there. Apparently, it seems like every every guy's playing except for <laughs> Deron Harrell, which is ridiculous. In the not not in the idea that he should be playing, but in the idea that he started you know the first six games, he was the only lock he was the only guy that was locked in there pretty much throughout spring and throughout fall camp. So not a great time, but Wisconsin's offense and we'll talk about it here has caught fire a little bit against some bad defenses, admittedly. Except for Iowa. I was not Except bad. for Iowa. Um, has caught fire, especially in the running game. Yeah, Wisconsin in the last three games has run for 1,023 yards, which is just astounding. And Jonathan's gone over 200 yards in all three of those games. He had 250 against Iowa. We know he had another good game last week against Nebraska with 204, and he does it again this week with 222 against Purdue. So I think we're seeing a very different Wisconsin offense these last three games. Now it helps when you're not playing Ohio State. Having said that... They've pared down the offensive line rotation. They're sticking with the same guys. They're opening holes for Jonathan Taylor. And what I wrote about from the game on Saturday against Purdue was how diverse the offense was. To me, this was the most dynamic and diverse offense we have seen this year. Now, we saw a game earlier this year against Central Michigan where Jack Cohn was throwing the ball around to everybody. But now you're in Big Ten play, and you're doing it in a number of ways. This is only the second game all year when they passed for at least 200 yards and ran for at least 200 yards and... They wound up with over 400 yards rushing, but they ran the Wildcat eight times by my count. Aaron Krukshank ran it four times. Garrett Groshek ran it four times. They got two touchdowns out of that. They ran numerous jet sweeps. Kendrick Pryor had a 49-yard run, and later in that drive, they finished it off with Garrett Groshek and the Wildcat. So when you combine all those things together, obviously I think Wisconsin is starting to show offensively what they need to show at the perfect time because they're going to need it against Minnesota, especially if the defense continues to play the way that it has. Because to your point, Minnesota has 2,000-yard receivers and a quarterback that's thrown 26 touchdown passes. They're going to do that to Wisconsin if the Badgers don't figure some things out on the back end. Yeah, and I, I don't know if there's going to be, like, against Northwest, against Nebraska, it was kind of two things. It was the running game and the passing game. In this one, it was Purdue didn't move the ball at all on the ground. They had 50 yards. Um, you know, and 27 of it came on one run by Mike Allstott Jr. and uh, Xander Horvath there. Um, they didn't move the ball off the ground whatsoever. They uh, did break out every trick play in the book, though, and uh, it's what helped them to 17 points in the first half. It's Zach Bond, as you'll hear coming up uh, as we go in the, inside the locker room and, and get a, uh, get to hear from him. He said, yeah, they, they emptied out the playbook, and as soon as they started having to play real football, they didn't move the ball. Or they didn't, or they didn't have any much going for him, and he's he's right. I mean, you think about it, at least in terms of um, in, in terms of scoring and in terms of long scoring drives. They had one scoring drive in the second half, and it was like four plays and like took them like less than ninety seconds. That was pretty much the only thing that they got going there, um, you know, in the second half. So, I guess you you take that as a positive, but I also say, you know, how many DBs do you have left? John Torchio in there uh, at safety. They're down, obviously, three guys at this point. Scott Nelson, uh, Colin Wilder, and Reggie Pearson. 
I guess I would be shocked if Reggie Pearson doesn't play next week simply because I think it's the same. It's a shoulder injury or an arm injury. Same thing he's been dealing with. We talked about it on last week's show with the Stinger. Um, he was on the bench at the end of the game. You know, it's not like he went inside. It wasn't like a serious injury, but I would be pretty surprised if he's not out there. How healthy he is, I don't know. And they're going to have to tackle well next week because Rodney Smith and, and that group and that running back group uh, ran through tackles like with ease um, last year. But I still, and we, we've talked about this last week, I still don't feel very comfortable sitting here and thinking that Wisconsin's going to go up there and win. And I know we talked about it during the game. Mm-hmm. I've gone back you, and forth. You were on, on this. a roller coaster, man. I'm a, a, a you were roller coaster of emotions. You were a glass case of emotions. You were really, up. Some might you, say you were up and down. One minute it was oh they're going to roll. Next minute was oh my goodness how are they going to stop them. Like it was all over the place. But because when November started, I said Wisconsin was going to win its last four games, win the Big Ten West. I'm going to stick to that. I do think what they showed offensively was tremendously impressive. And I even though Minnesota's got a top 15 defense. I think they can have a lot of success because of how dynamic they are. The big question is, what's the defense going to do when Minnesota starts airing the ball out? And I don't know if it's as easy as just saying they ran a couple trick plays and they had 289 yards passing. I mean, that's not just because of a a couple trick plays. They had one that went for the 37-yard touchdown pass, which that was a fantastic play. It was a a backwards pass to the wide receiver who wound up going for a touchdown to the tight end. But They had two of them. Two trick plays that led that were big plays, but I'm saying they gave up other plays. Is oh, what I'm saying. So oh, for I, sure, know, I I understand if you're a guy on that team in in the locker room and you're saying oh, it was just trick plays. Yeah, there were some trick plays in there. They also gave up some other plays, and when you tack that on to the fact that this has been a running theme here now, 23 plays that went for 10 plus yards against Nebraska. The fact that Ohio State gashed them, which I understand you can put that in its own category, but even Illinois, when all three touchdowns go for 29 plus yards, I have some concern there, but I'm sticking with my pick. Okay. All right. After all, you said all that, sticking with the pick of Wisconsin, but I just want to lay it all out there. Yeah. No, for sure. I, this is, um, there were some, certainly some concerns with this Wisconsin and Purdue game, um, but. I don't disagree with your notion that they were multiple. What do you think about Jack Cohn's performance, though? You know, I mean, 15 and 19 looks great. Right. 203 looks great. Two touchdowns looks great. The interception was trash. But I don't really know what to... Because to, I say that the interception was trash because Quintez Cephas was running wide open and he never threw it. Maybe you just want to give a guy a play, an opportunity. I don't know. Personally, I think the ball was underthrown. Either way, what do you think of his, of his play? I think a lot of people are going to look at it and just remember that interception because Quintez was so open and Jack underthrew him. For the most part, I thought he did what he needed to do. He threw two two touchdown passes. He threw a 29-yard touchdown pass to Cephas, and he threw a touchdown pass to Jack Dunn, Jack's first ever uh, receiving touchdown. And when we were talking to the guys afterward, like that, apparently that play never works in practice. He's never thrown it. Like he barely throws it in practice. But he did say Jack Dunn is like his number one target in practice or jack catches a lot of balls so that's what cone said yeah so it was kind of interesting that 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 play ultimately worked but he's 15 for 19 you know he fumbled the ball luckily they recovered it jason erdman was was able to fall on that thing yeah that was the slowest developing fumble recovery in the history of college football and that's been a problem he's lost a lot of balls generally under duress i'm pretty sure it's his 10th fumble of the year that's a lot hasn't lost all of them but he's fumbled them and i think he 
I mean, he threw for 203 yards, you know? He had four incompletions. So he it's did. hard for me to say outside of that bad interception, and it was. There's no good interception, but that one was one that you turn a touchdown into an interception, and maybe next week that makes a bigger difference. So we talked last week about this a little bit, Jack, and I jumped out on that limb of saying Graham Mertz is going to start next year, and someone came back with stats that showed Scott Tolzien in 2010 when he won the Johnny Unitas Golden Armor Award for Best Senior Quarterback. His stats through 10 games and now 11 games are the same as they were are very close to what Jack is doing right now. And that's supposed to give us perspective as to how good Jack has been, I guess. I guess that's what that's supposed to do. I will also say that advanced analytics, uh, which Pro Football Focus uses, had him ranked as the 52nd best starting quarterback in the country heading into this week. So there, I don't think a straight look at Scott Tolzien's stats is probably necessarily fair either way like they're two different they're two different quarterbacks they're two different offenses and I don't think just saying oh he's doing the exact same thing as Scott Tolzien means he's playing as well as Scott Tolzien did that year I think it comes down to you you mentioned this it's it's how he does off play action passes and the things that the things that are lacking are are the downfield throws we've seen it on occasion but we also see the instances where a guy's open and the ball doesn't wind up there and that's the biggest difference but underneath throws that's you can see why he has such a high completion percentage. It's among the national leaders, and and overall, I as I've said, I think he's been the quarterback they've needed this season. You can't tell me they'd be playing for a national championship if Graham Mertz was the starting quarterback. I just think that's completely unreasonable. So for the most part, he's gotten the job done, and he did it again against Purdue. All right, time to play. It'll sold or not sold. We'll start with this. Uh, PJ Fleck. Before the game against before Wisconsin kicked off, he did his post game press conference, and at the end of it, said "skiu ma," whatever, row the boat, whatever the crap he always says, and then "boiler up," which obviously is produce. You know, that's what they always say. PJ Flex saying "boiler up" meant he was scared to play Wisconsin. Sold or not sold? I joked about this in the press box, which is why this is a question. I'm not sold on that. I do think it's sort of silly. <laughs> I mean, of course look, everybody has a, a different uh, personalities. Can you imagine Paul Christ even acknowledging anything like that? And that's okay. I just think it's like, let the game play itself out. I mean, we know what you want to have happen. Although, honestly, you should want Wisconsin to win because it's an opportunity. Can you imagine the steam that would be taken out of this game if the Badgers go and lay an egg against Purdue? Then, obviously, Minnesota wins the Big Ten West without this epic game, but you know, you probably don't have college game day there either. So it's better for Wisconsin for Minnesota's program that Wisconsin won the game. And I know Chris Orr was well aware of the boiler up comment, which how does he find out about this stuff? Can I just that game ended at what? Two thirty? Two fifteen? Yeah. Kickoff for Wisconsin Purdue's at three. Are people tweeting at Chris at 245? Is he on the phone before he goes back onto the field? Because he knows everything. You have to remember, this is the guy that searched for... I love know, it, by the way. I just search, searched for bullets and board material when they were playing Central Michigan. Like that, that, I mean, that, was, that was the thing, him trying to, fi- him trying to find that. But uh, Chris, he was not asked about it. Like He wasn't asked about the Boiler Up thing. He was asked about you know, Minnesota and, just, you know, and P.J. Fleck. Because uh, he said after the game, we're going up there to get... We'd like as many of you to come up there as possible when we go get our axe. And he was asked about that in the post game, and he said, "Yeah, that's that's the plan." And then he he came up and said, "Yeah, I heard uh, I heard PJ Fleck said uh, boiler up, ha ha, ha ha." 
like just complete like deadpan laughing like yeah whatever okay and he was asked oh he's like i bet you pj flux gonna i bet she's gonna be holding on to that and chris is like enjoy it while he can so he's coming he like they all tried a lot of them tried to play like we're gonna enjoy this win we're you know we're all that's what this win is about we're gonna we're gonna enjoy beating purdue at senior day but one guy did let it slip not chris but zach said that the message in the locker room to the team was enjoy this very quickly but flush it because we got a big one coming up and this has been what they've been pointing to all off season if we remember in spring practice they had put pictures of Minnesota celebrating with the Axe in Camp Randall last year in the trophy case that was holding Paul Bunyan's Axe, or where Paul Bunyan's Axe had been since they remodeled the you know the uh, the locker room, and or since 2004, however you want to think about it. This has been that's where this whole season or the off season had been pointing to, like this. And obviously, there's a lot at stake, and they wanted to win the West and all that stuff. But when your whole off season is pointing to this, you better come through with it. A lot of these guys were five, six, seven years old the last time Minnesota actually had the axe. Now, a lot of these guys aren't Wisconsin natives, didn't know anything about this game, but it just goes to show you how long it had actually been. And I do think there's something to be said for finally losing that trophy to help you understand how important it is. You can talk about how important it is to keep it, but when all the senior classes roll through every year and they get to chop down the goalposts, I don't know if it necessarily resonates as much as when you see Minnesota take that from your side and then do it on your home field in Camp Randall Stadium last year makes you realize what it really means. But beyond the idea that it's for a trophy, it's it's for the championship. That's it is, it, but it, it is that trophy. I know you're not a I know, I know you're not a Wisconsin guy, but you've been here, obviously. But you, this is the first time that Wisconsin has gone up since you've been covering the team, since they haven't had it. Yeah, and, I'm not saying And I can remember two thousand four, the year after Reese Lloyd kicked the field goal up in the twi- up in the Metrodome jumped over Wisconsin's bench to go get the axe and paraded around the Metrodome. And I remember 2004, Scott Starks and all the other guys lining up on the sideline, racing, racing to get over to the Minnesota sideline to take the axe. Honestly, I think this has as much juice for Wisconsin as any axe game has, obviously, in the last 30 years. Like, the ju- the, the juice there. Like, Barry Albert's first big, his first road win was at Minnesota. And that was a big one. But this just this feels different, and I know some fans just don't give a crap because the Big Ten West, who cares, like that type of stuff. But I think the no go I, well. I'll, I'll we'll talk about it when we ask the Twitter questions coming up here in a little bit. Some people asked if whether the season would be a success if they win this game, but don't win the Big Ten. And I got a whole bunch of people chiming in on that, saying no, of course not. So some people only care about a Big Ten title, but I think this is. As big a big, this is as big a game as you could possibly have for Wisconsin. I think there's going to be a lot of juice behind it. I don't disagree with anything you said. I'm not downplaying the importance of you did, the act. You did though, but because was, what comes with I it? I was I was referencing it they're in relation to winning a Big Ten West championship. But they're one in the same right now. Now they are. That's what I'm. That's what I was getting at. Is like what's at stake isn't just a trophy. It's the Big Ten West championship with an opportunity to go win the freaking conference title. And playing a Rose Bowl. Yeah. I mean, that's massive. So I'm just saying that the implications go beyond this trophy. I'm not diminishing the importance of said trophy. But you all made you made good points, and so I'll leave it there. Okay. I'm just all I'm saying is there's some juice behind this that hasn't 100%. been that hasn't been here. Even in that twenty fourteen game that we talked about, there's been juice missing on Wisconsin's side. 
And just in talking to obviously some of the older guys, we have our Wisconsin football roundtable, and, and they kind of like they all won Big Ten titles, 2010, 2011, like Brady Ewing and, and Bill Nagy. They won Big Ten titles, but they also wear that badge of never having lost Paul Bunyan's axe right there on on their accomplishments. If there was like a they had a letter jacket, if there was a badge for that, it would be up towards the top because that's that was how important it is. And right now they obviously don't have it, and it was um, disappointing, not so embarrassing, but disappointing that the senior class last year unable to do it. That was the word last year. It was disappointing, not embarrassing, right? That loss was embarrassing, though. The loss was embarrassing, but talking to TJ Edwards, it was disappointing the older guys, disappointing the previous senior classes for not holding this down. Um, sold or not sold, another thing we talked about in the press box, this has been the best decade of Wisconsin football. Sold or not sold. All right, well, I know you're a child of the Badgers' 90s, and there's no way you would ever say that a decade outside of the 90s was the best. I'm going to say that this decade is the best False. from the from the perspective that they have been as consistently good from start to finish as any decade in the history of this program. Six 10-plus win seasons, I think, going for seven. I'm not going um, to do the math for you on this Their one. worst season this decade was when they went eight and six and went to the Rose Bowl, or last year when they went eight and five and won the Pinstripe Bowl. Technically, their worst season, though, was that eight and six year because they got third in the Big Ten. Uh, legends and leaders nonsense, but made it because Penn State and Ohio State were ineligible. So from that standpoint, I'm going to say it's this decade. I know that you're going to say three Rose Bowl wins and turning the program around trumps all, but they had three losing seasons before that. Irrelevant. And then they had a losing season after that. Irrelevant. After the first Rose Bowl. Irrelevant. So that's that's my answer. Anyone who's listening that's over like 35 or 40 is absolutely going to say the 90s. Well, no, and if I, you're younger, I think you're going to side with, with me here. In, in the modern era... It's the 90s, simply because of what you went from in 1990, 1 and 10, to you know, 10, 1 and 1, and winning the Rose Bowl in 93, then back-to-back championships in 98, 99. You had the, the true all-time leading rusher in, in, in football history in that four-year stretch from 96 to 99. You have uh, just some of the best teams, some of the best memories, some of the best moments uh, in, in – uh, program history all in those 90s and I personally yes would prefer three Rose Bowl wins three Big Ten titles over a 10 win season in a Cotton Bowl title or a 10 or a 12 win season or a 13 win season or a 13 win season and an Orange Bowl title like that to me is that stuff is irrelevant at this point college football has changed now college football had changed and if and if they were in 93 if the if the playoff had been around and we and that was the only thing that really mattered these like it is these days for the most part maybe I'd think about it differently but it wasn't and what they did in 93 what they did in 98 99 were some of the were the best and it was so new that it was even better there was apathy among an, for a 9 10 win season 9 or 10 win season i don't think you can really argue that could you argue that I'm not going to argue any of it. I, I just ap- like apathy for a nine win, a ten win season. Did you see the stadium today? I'm not I did. My my argument is different from your argument. I, and pers- I completely understand your argument about they reached the highest of heights in that decade. They turned around the program, and that will never be done again. They and have the same the- number of they have the same number as Big Ten championships, mm-hmm. and they have actual Rose Bowl wins as opposed to three straight Rose Bowl losses. 
I'm just and the Rose Bowl a, matters here more than anything else. I'm just saying from a consistency standpoint, from from wire to wire at the start to the end. You know, the first year in this decade, they they go to the Rose Bowl, and they're Ooh. yeah, I know you didn't that's win. The, it. Yeah, that's see, that's the there's the apathy, right? You don't win the Rose Bowl, then who cares? You go ten and two or eleven and two, who cares? I, I I agree. Where are you at as a program if you when can't com- get excited about that? Right, right. But when we're comparing the two decades. I think it's pretty easy to say. Maybe I'm just uh, playing devil's advocate. Can we count? Can we count the 2000 Rose Bowl as yes 90s? Okay, right. the 99 season. It is. It counts. Okay. Score. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. So we so we still don't know. I mean, they could end up where they could end up in the 2020 Rose Bowl. Well, and that will they count. Could and then and then maybe the decade's but better. None of us thinks that's going to happen. How how would it happen? What if Wisconsin goes to the Rose Bowl? Yeah. How does it have to happen? Are, are you serious? No, I know exactly how it has to happen. They have to beat Minnesota and Ohio State. Yep. Uh, so we've done this the past few weeks. I'm going to do it again because you continue to say no. Jonathan Taylor, 2,000 yards. Will he get there? He's now uh, at 16-something. He needs 157.5 if they play two games, obviously less if they play three. And you've said if he plays three, he'll get it. But now are you thinking maybe if they play two, it gets 157.5? Yep, I'm on. I'm on board. You're on board. It, was, it took it took the third straight 200 plus yard rushing game to get me there. And honestly, I ooh man, I wonder if he's going to be a Heisman Trophy finalist. I mean, it depends on how many they take because some years they take three and some years they take five. And if they take five, he's to me a lock to be a finalist. But he's not going to win. No one's saying he's going to. But man, he's working his way back up into the discussion of maybe getting some third place votes. And honestly, there's going to be some people that give him a first or second place vote too for what he's doing. So you do a straw poll at the Athletic. We've talked about it before. So even leading into this week, someone had given him a first place vote. It was not you. It was not me. Per per Jesse Temple, it was not Jesse. I Temple. gave him a third place vote. Okay. Where at this point we we still have. Two weeks before you have to give a uh, three weeks before no two weeks before you have to hand in your vote. Um, do it after the Big Ten championship game. Where would your vote go today? So Joe Joe Burrow to me has this bad boy wrapped up pretty much unless something catastrophic happens here. But he's been. You've also said Justin Fields though too, right? Well, I, what I'm saying is, well, you get you, you get vote, three votes. You get one, vote one, two, three, and yep. it would be hard for me to leave out Justin Fields when he's got. I believe, 33 touchdown passes and one interception. It's the best touchdown-to-interception ratio in college football. And Was that going into today or today? I think it includes today. He had a couple touchdown passes and no interceptions. And, okay. and he's a running threat, too, and he's on a team that's undefeated and number two in the country. So number one in the country, number one, number two. Depends on the... In the college football playoff. Yeah. They're, they're number one. Are they? Yeah. They, did they leapfrog LSU on last Tuesday? Ohio LSU is number one. I was saying Ohio State is number two. Oh, you were. Ta- I thought you were talking about Burrow. My I was bet. talking about Fields. I'll shut up. We're getting all confused. I'll shut up. It's been a long day. Uh, so those are the two, and then like Jalen Hurts is in there, and Chase Young, who's got another three sacks. And He's insane. So really, in my mind, there's five guys that I have to figure out where those top three go to. And obviously, I've seen Jonathan more than anyone else. And if he finish, if he closes with they make the Big Ten Championship, and he has, you know, five games or four of those five games or 200-yard games, and he's got 22 touchdowns now, right? 
eight, 18 rushing and, and four receiving. Yep. It's hard to ignore that. It is. It is. But there's I think, just so many really good players, and I, I, I don't think, know if he's going to get enough votes to be I think he will get. Yeah, I think he will get ignored in terms of going to, to the... Because I think if there's going to be a one, two, up high, and then maybe a three that's right there, I don't think they'll take five, because I think just the vote discrepancy, they'll cut it off, and it'll just be you know such a difference between the top two and top three compared to everybody else. Or... It's going to be the top two way up here, and then everybody else, you know, finished in at three, and so maybe you take three more and just just to give you five and, and whatever it is. I think we, you mentioned in the press box, they should just take every, they just take five every time just for the experience of it. Hundred percent, I absolutely think they should. What difference does it make if if you have five and two guys know that they're not going to win? I mean, if you're a finalist, there, if you're the fourth or fifth best player in college football, you're still worthy of being a Heisman Trophy finalist. Why not be a little more inclusive? All right, time to get into our Twitter questions. Uh, Paul wants to know, can the defense hold up against Minnesota? They can. Will they hold up against Minnesota? I'm not sure. I I do not have confidence. the confidence that I've had previously just because, like I said before, it's stacking up game after game. And you can say, well, they're different schemes and they, they run different plays. And sure, there were some trick plays that Purdue had some success on. But now you're banged up in the secondary and you're playing... That's the best wide receiver combo you're going to see this year. I mean, Ohio State yeah. has some guys. They, may but have they better, don't have two guys that have 1,000-plus yards. They may have a better group overall. Right. So I really I struggle to answer this question right now, and I think it's going to be the difference in the game. The difference in the game is going to be Wisconsin's ability to get after the quarterback. If they can get after the quarterback and they can pressure Tanner Morgan, um, maybe things go a little bit better in that respect. But I have a feeling that they're going to try and slow that pass rush down with draws and, and some of the same stuff that they did last year where it's, you know, uh, the read option, pull it, slant. Because it was, I mean, we saw Purdue do it a couple times this, today. I Very little confidence. Um, and I know we're not supposed to talk about last year, but what they did last year to the defense. But the key for me is going to be Wisconsin not turning the ball over. If Wisconsin gets anywhere close to the four. I mean, they turned the ball over four times last year against these guys too, but they turned the ball over four times against Purdue. If that happens again, they won't have a shot in hell. No, absolutely not. And the thing about the turnovers against Purdue is like, Self. Purdue didn't really do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the interception, obviously they made a play, but but that was underthrown. You know, you got... Jonathan Taylor lost a fumble. A.J. Taylor lost a fumble on a jet sweep. And then Aaron Cruikshank on a handoff exchange to Jonathan Taylor, which I asked Aaron about it, and he said Jonathan told him that he thought Aaron was going to keep it. And so I think Jonathan obviously must have been surprised that the ball wound up in his hands. So it's like self-inflicted stuff. Right. It's silly. Yeah, no. Yeah, Aaron said he may have held it a little bit too long. Because I'm like, did you feel like he kind of held it too long there? Or, you know, and it's like I... You know, I was reading the end, and I maybe just need to make a quicker read. He did hold it in there a long time. And that's some of the drawbacks when you run the Wildcat with a guy who that's not obviously his forte. He can do it well, but when you start adding new wrinkles, you can have mistakes. Kurt says, uh, does the offense need to hold on the ball for 35-plus minutes to beat Minnesota? It would help. You know, they've been – are they still number one in the country in time of possession? That's Wisconsin? That's, yeah, that's what they, sure they that's are. what they thrive on. So. Which certainly would help, right? But Minnesota's also today. the thing is, I don't even know if that would it would help. But Minnesota's can score so quickly, and Wisconsin gives has given up some quick scoring drives of late, right? So I can't even say that is the straight up formula to success. But 
if you're able to get first downs and run more plays, then that gives Minnesota less time with the ball, less opportunities. Uh, Minnesota, ninth in the country in, in uh, time of possession. So they're holding on to the ball quite a bit as well, but they do have the ability to quick strike quickly. Taylor asks, is uh, Wisconsin bringing back the Wildcat, or is this just a flash in the pan? Bringing it back. You know, it's like, it's interesting because they ran it enough to make, I, I think at least, to make Minnesota prepare for this new wrinkle, but then you wonder how many times are they actually going to run it against Minnesota. They did it a few few times against Ohio State when Aaron Cruikshank ran it. The first time he had it, he had a 27-yard gain. And it's hard for me to say this is something that they're going to consistently run that many times, but when you've got the playmakers there, and especially with with Aaron, they've they've got to figure out. I wrote about this this week. You got a guy that talented, that explosive. Figure out a, a way to get him on the field, and it's not going to be in the top four wide receiver rotation. And so that's the way that you get him on the field. But I can't say I, I, how many times they're going to bust that out against Minnesota. It's just give them something to think about. Mark says he's happy for the W, loves seeing some creativity on offense. The D was abysmal for most of the game. If we don't get anything pressure, if we don't get pressure, it's lights out. Is there anything the D can do schematically to improve the tackling and coverage? Oof. That's a tough one because they missed some tackles early against early too. I I don't know the answer to that just because I feel like for the most part, and I, I maybe I would have said this before this game, I haven't felt like they've given up like massive you know, 50-yard plays over the top very often. It was a lot of you have someone in front of you and you whiff and it turns into this huge gain. And so it's run your feet and win your one-on-one when you have to. That sounds simple. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think schematically is where it's going to have to happen. Like we've heard, and I was expecting to hear it after this game, but we didn't. Um, Scheme beaters. Scheme beater. I, I maybe maybe uh, Eric Burrell talked about that today. I don't know. Uh, it, it's kind of his favorite term that he used to, against uh, after the Ohio State game and then after the Nebraska game. Um, to me, it has to be scheme. Like Jim Jim Leonard has to come up with something to protect his guys because uh, and they're getting gashed, especially in the air. And all year we've we talked about how many they have, how many corners they have back there, how many different guys they can use. I think to a certain extent we're kind of figuring out why they've been using so many different guys because they haven't been able to figure out what exactly they want or who is going to grab it and hold on to it. This, to me, this week is on if he's the great defensive coordinator that I think a lot of us believe he was earlier this year, this week is on him. I was going to ask, is it an overstatement to suggest that this has to be the greatest week of Jim Leonard's brief coaching tenure? It's up there. It's, I mean, it is. There's no doubt. It's up there because this is last year. We could blame the lack of players, right? We could blame not having a defensive line, having enough defensive linemen. You point to a whole lot of different things. Um, they need to figure out a way to cover up for their deficiencies. And that right now is, uh, is in the back end. And that's his position. That's position he coaches. He needs to come up with something. It's on him. And I'm, I'm not smart enough to sit here and tell you what it is. That's on him, and the million dollar coach can figure it out. That now you gave me that you gave me that look. No, I thought there was a pause, meaning the end of the segment. I was just wondering when we were going to get to Zach Hintz. Okay, well we didn't. Yeah, we didn't talk about him. Would you like to talk about him? Because I don't think I there's like, any. I feel like we should. I don't we're think there's this any, deep. I don't think there's any uh, questions in here against. We're him. this deep in the show, and the dude hit a school record sixty-two yard he field did. goal. I just feel like it deserves a, a mention here. You know what's so so weird is I remember 
the kick John Hall made. And that was 1995. I remember watching it and him like going crazy, like running all over the field. And it was almost exactly what we saw today where guys were just out there running all over the place. Zach Hintz's second field goal attempt of his career. He had a 62-yard attempt, I believe, at Northwestern last year. Um, it did not go in. Um, and he got the opportunity today and just pushed it just inside the left upright uh, from 62 yards away in that weather. Had a little bit of a win behind his back, but then things got crazy. He has a giant scratch on the right side of his face, and we were asking him about it after the game. In the celebration, someone had their helmet off and got so excited, they raised it and smacked him across the face with it. So he got he got a scratch from a helmet, uh, which I would wear with pride because of the circumstances. But unbelievable what that kick was. And the fact, if you go back in the record books, the last kicker to make a 62-yard field goal at Wisconsin was Pat O'Day in 1898, and it was a drop kick. And Pat O'Day is like this legendary kicker where you read newspaper clippings and you wonder if this is a real guy because he could, like, kick it 98 yards or some insane numbers that don't make sense. Yeah. So when you're in that company, it's it's pretty remarkable. But Hintz, this is like old hat for Hintz because when he, he was in high school, he set the state record. He made a 61-yard field goal in a playoff game in 2014. So pretty pretty special. Probably makes some people wonder why he doesn't just kick all the field goals, but... There's a reason for it. There is. And what a great way to go out in your, your home finale to, to make that kick because he's, to me, he might be the best kickoff specialist in college football. Statistically, he's not. Statistically, he's up there. But he's not. He's not the best kickoff specialist? No. All right. Well, can he be in the conversation, Zach? He can be. All right. And so I think that goes, <laughs> I think that, I think that goes under acknowledged because it's like you're the kickoff specialist. So. Good for him for drilling that kick. Yeah, there's a there's a guy from Missouri that's put it in the end zone 94% of the time. What do you think Zach Hintz is at? 76%? Yes. 76, which is top 10 in the country. That was a guess. So it was an educated guess. But I'm going to pat myself on the back. 76.92%. Uh, Tucker McCann, 94.4% of his kickoffs. J.J. Molson, 86.5%. And Avery Atkins, 82%. Everybody else is below 80. So I think Tucker McCann is kind of in a category by himself. I thought Hintz had the longest average distance on kickoffs. Uh, Zach Hintz is fourth in the country. I think he was number one a couple weeks ago. Is he right now, Jesse? But he used to be. Anyway, (laughs) in the conversation, and those guys didn't make a 62-yard field goal like Hintz. We don't know that. Is that, what's I'm the, willing to go out on a limb. What's the longest field goal you think has been kicked this year? 67? No, that's know. that's all time for college, 67. I have I no idea. I'm asking. I was asking. I was thinking maybe in your studies that you had. No? All right. Well, we'll end with this one because uh, we kind of talked about it earlier on. Would this season be considered disappointing if at the end of it, or at the end of the regular season, Wisconsin ends up 10-2 and in Big Ten West champs, but they didn't contend for a playoff spot? No. But I think... In this scenario, the result against Ohio State will go a long way toward determining how people feel about this team. I don't think Wisconsin would win that game, but if you're competitive and it's a one-possession game late, you say, well, at least they showed something. But So was 2017 successful? 
Was it a successful season? Because they went hell yes, it was twelve a successful and zero, and then thirteen and zero, and were within if, one possession of Ohio State at the end of the game. Of course, it was. It was. A score I'm asking. Like a 13 okay. wins. It was the most successful right, so, season I've ever covered. So was 2014 a success? Well, they got they won the Big Ten West, got smoked at the Big Ten championship game, and then went and won the big and uh, won one bowl game. Is that a successful season? To me, that's what this season would be. Yeah. Yeah, and Which the thing the thing about they the, beat Minnesota in the last game right. to get the Big Ten championship. I think that. I think that I think this game this Saturday is going to determine whether it's a successful season or not. And the thing is, perception a lot of times is plays into this because before the season, they were picked to finish third. We didn't know how good they were going to be. We talked about well, they could. They're I think they're a better team, but they may not finish with a better record. Even though last year they finished eight and five, and now they're sitting here on the cusp of potentially winning ten games. But now you get to this point in this week when it's for the Big Ten West Championship against your bitter rivals and you can deny them the opportunity of the most unbelievable season in decades, yeah, if you lose that game, that takes some serious steam out. But if you win it, I think you can say it was a successful season. I will say this. I think they're going to be ready to go up there. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to see what we saw at the end of last season where there was it was flat, and they did not come out to play very – and they didn't come out to play. And I don't think that will be an issue at all come Saturday up in the Twin Cities as college game day comes to town – for the first time ever up there, actually, which I think kind of makes sense because Minnesota's been pathetic in football for much of the time that College Game Day has been around. Have they not? Accurate? Pathetic? Minnesota? Path- uh, they yeah. go to bowl games. Middling? Like it's hard for me to middling, say. Middling too pathetic? I'm not going to say pathetic. Middling too pathetic. They middling? They Is mid- ha- okay, middling? <laughs> uh, they haven't been a viable contender. But they haven't been pathetic. I mean, come on, man. They haven't been college game day worthy. Okay. So middling, then. Whatever you want to say. (laughs) Uh, Again, it'll be uh, in the Twin Cities. Kickoff at 2.30 at TCF Bank Stadium. Badgers and Gophers Big Ten West Championship game. Jesse has the uh, Badgers. We'll see if it works out. You've got the Gophers. Uh, You failed to say. Don't even edit this out because you've got the gophers. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.